Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On June 21st, eight storytellers shared their stories with our audience for our virtual slam. The theme for our June Story Slam was Father Knows Best. We heard stories about the lessons learned, thoughtful kindness bestowed, and generational differences. In the end, our winner was first-time storyteller Ryan Rowe with his story about playing in the elementary school band with his dad. Everything that I know about music, I learned from my dad. And when I was in fourth grade, that's when we as students were allowed to pick an instrument to take lessons in and join the school band. And I chose the trombone for two reasons. The first one was that my fourth grade crush, Jessica, told me that she was going to play the saxophone. And I knew that the saxophone players and the trombone players took lessons together. And the reason I didn't just also play the saxophone was that the buttons scared me. <laughs> the second reason I chose to play the trombone was that my dad was a phenomenal trombone player. He played for many years in the Marine Corps band, and he traveled around the country playing with them. He was based in New Orleans, and he played in a lot of clubs there. And he even played in the Super Bowl a few times. So I thought by choosing the trombone, he can certainly give me a lot of good pointers. Now, there were only two trombone players in the whole school. It was me and a fifth grader named Gina. And I worked really hard for weeks at this instrument, and I just couldn't get it. I was terrible, and you know, trombone, it's a really hard instrument to play when you're a kid because you have these little fourth grade arms and you can't reach far enough to hit a C note. But the only consolation was that Gina was also terrible. So as long as she was setting the bar low, I felt like I was doing okay. Until two weeks before our first concert, Gina decides to quit now leaving me as the only trombone player in the whole school, and I'm awful at it. So my band teacher, Miss Pettigrew, is understandably very concerned. And then a week before our first concert, there's a parent-teacher conference, and my dad comes in, and he meets Miss Pettigrew for the first time. And he mentions to her that, you know, he played, in the trom he played the trombone in the Marine Corps band, and he traveled around the country doing it. And she goes, wait, would you like to play with the fourth graders? <laughs> in our winter concert. And he's like, ah, I don't know. This is their thing. I don't want to take anything away from it. And she's like, please, will you play with the fourth graders? So he reluctantly accepts. And when he comes back and he tells me about it, he actually seems excited about it. And I am mortified. Because I'm a kid, you know? I don't want to be sitting in the front row with Jessica on my left and an adult man on my right. <laughs> And I just know that I'm going to be awful, and he's going to be great, and I'm going to be so embarrassed by it. But the concert comes around, and we start playing the first song. And immediately, my dad and I are competing to see who can play the quietest. <laughs> I'm playing quietly because I don't want people to hear the noises coming out of my trombone. My dad is playing quietly because he doesn't want to upstage a bunch of nine-year-olds. We're both playing so quietly that Miss Pettigrew, while conducting, is looking at us and waving at us to get louder. So we go through the first song. The second song goes a little bit better. And the third song we play was What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. And you guys know it. It's so 
slow and soft and a, such a beautiful song. And it's not as hard to play on the trombone for a kid. And this time, I decide to just relax a little bit. And as we're playing, I start listening to my dad play next to me. And he's hitting every note perfectly. And it's so smooth and beautiful. And in that moment, all of the nervousness that I had about this just melted away. And I started to really appreciate that not only was my dad willing to play with his son, he was excited to play music with his son. And that's something that was so special to me in that moment. And he ended up playing in every concert we did for the next five years. Every year, for five years, we had a total of zero new trombone players. I was always the only one, and so we just kept inviting him back. And every time it was special. I was never nervous about it. I was always excited about it. I had a blast every time getting to play with my dad. So much so that when I got to high school and there were some upperclassmen that played the trombone, I was no longer the only one. So he didn't have to play with us anymore. And I only ended up playing one more semester before I decided to quit because something felt missing. It wasn't as fun anymore. And flash forward to just a few years ago, I was doing a road trip through the South, and I stopped in New Orleans, and I was so excited to finally see New Orleans. And as I was walking around the city, it was so cool to me because I kept thinking, this is the city that my dad lived in when he was my age. And if you haven't been to New Orleans, you gotta see it. It's such an amazing city. And the last thing I did there was I went to a club called Preservation Hall. It's a pretty famous club in New Orleans, and it's kind of this hole-in-the-wall, uh, really old place where these older gentlemen play Dixieland jazz. And I was seated right in front of the trombone player. And as they're playing, I'm just having the time of my life because this trombone player is so good, and he's just hitting every note perfectly. And then right before they ended, a guy from the back of the room comes up and hands the lead man a $5 bill and asks him to play What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. And as they start to play, and it's slow, and it's smooth, and it's beautiful, I'm listening to the trombone player in front of me, and I just become overwhelmed with emotion. Because it was like in that moment, I was transformed back into being fourth grade Ryan. And I was so appreciative that I got to have those special moments playing music with my dad. And when I got back from New Orleans, I went up to my parents' attic, and it turns out that they had kept my trombone this whole time. And I open up the case, and I smell the brass for the first time in years. It's such a, a sweet smell. And I put the horn and the slide together, and you just hear all the familiar sounds. And I start playing, and immediately I'm reminded of how terrible I was. <laughs> but this time, I don't care, because I'm not listening to myself play. I'm listening to the memory of playing with my dad. Ryan earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Next up, we have Tony Krakama with the story of the first time he shaved. My father could fix or build anything. When my three sisters and I were young, he built us a swing set in the backyard. Now, this wasn't from a kid. He designed it and built it himself using uh, household plumbing pipes. And that was a sturdy swing set that served us well for, for decades. 
However, I did grow up thinking that American Standard uh, made playground equipment. So. But my father was an amazing guy. He really was an amazing guy. And he could fix things, build things. And in my family, there were, I had three sisters. So it was myself, my three sisters, and my mother and my father. And so uh, in my family, humor, including, well, make that mainly teasing each other, was an important part of our favorite life. It's, it's, it's what we did. And there were shifting alliances that were formed in our family, depending on who was the butt of the joke and who was doing the butting. And so sometimes it was parents versus the children. Sometimes it was the children, or the, the, the sisters versus the brother. And sometimes it was the men versus the women. And these shifting alliances went back and forth again depending on who was the butt of the joke. And the jokes with this humor, this teasing, was never intentionally mean. However, there were four children in the household, and, and children don't necessarily know <clears throat> where that line is. And so our, the parents had to step in occasionally with things like that. So in the twilight of my adolescence, when I was around 14, I decided that I should begin shaving. Didn't say it was necessary. I just decided I should begin shaving. That's what I should do. And I knew how to shave. I knew what was going on and everything. I'd, I'd seen my father shave over the years, although I had to spend time in the bathroom with him for you know, quite some time now. But I knew what was going on. You just uh, lather up. You put a new blade in the, the Gillette, the double safety razor blade, and you lather up, and you scrape the face. And then, you know, you wash it off and you're, you're shaved. Easy peasy. And so that's what I did one summer afternoon, late in the afternoon. I went into the bathroom and I lathered up. And I put a new blade in the Gillette safety razor and I shaved, scraped my face, being careful not to go sideways. I knew that. And I scraped his face and the neck and everything. And then I, I finished off, and, you know, washed my face, got the extra lather off, and I finished off with, not with uh, aftershave lotion or cologne, but what I did was I took a, a lake full of uh, rubbing alcohol, and I poured it in my hand, and I put it on, and what I did was I created the Home Alone bean decades before Keith, <laughs> Kevin did. It was just, it was painful. So I, I went out into the backyard to die, and I, I stayed out there for a while. And it's after a while, the stinging went away. And I was, OK, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. And then by the time my mother called me in for dinner, I, I was feeling pretty good. So I, I walk in, and I sit down to the table, and everybody's just looking at me. And I, I don't know what's going on. I haven't looked in the mirror and everything. My mother, who was a nurse, says, Tony, what did you do? I said, what, what? And my sister said, your face, your face, it's all red. It looks like a radish. Your face is red. I had no idea. And, and my father realized what I had done. And he stepped in. And he said, oh, oh, I, I know what happened. That happens to me sometimes. Uh, you, sometimes you get a towel, and it's too rough. And when you rub your face while you're washing your face, it makes it raw, and it gets, gets inflated. It happens to me all the time. My mother catches on and says, oh, yeah, I know just the towel you're talking about. We'll have to rip that up and just use it for rags. 
Now, my three sisters weren't buying any of this, but they couldn't contradict my father because he had said what it was. And I'm sitting there saying, oh, man, I just dodged a bullet because if they had been teasing me for that and that had got out of hand, that would be one of those family history <laughs> sessions, you know, that every Thanksgiving thereafter I'd have to relive this whole incident. Would have done, I was doomed. So my father saved me from that. And later that day, uh, later that evening, he... Uh, he took me aside and he explained a few things about shaving, particularly the difference between uh, aftershave lotion and rubbing alcohol. And then he promised me that he goes, uh, in a couple months, I'll, I'll give you one of, my, one of my razors. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, you're, you're not going to need it for a couple of months. He had to get that one shot in there. <laughs> had to get that one shot. But I was so grateful that it was just one shot and it was from my dad. So what is a successful father? I think when, when the children know, know that they are loved, however that is, that is a successful father. Our final story on this month's podcast comes from another first-time storyteller, Emily Gullhue, who shared her story of her relationship with her father. My relationship with my dad is not fantastic. I mean, I love him. He's raised me well, uh, but we're stubborn, opinionated people. And when you put two stubborn, opinionated people in the same room, uh, sparks tend to fly a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, he raised me to be tough. And I think that that is something that I uh, will continue to take away from our relationship. When I was four, he was the kind of dad that would give me a block of wood and a nail and a hammer and said, have at it here you go. This is your toy today. And okay. So I learned how to use a hammer now when kids were using like the little play school ones and it's plastic and who, um, but as I grew, uh, our opinions definitely started to, uh, show their differences. Um, sorry. We had a lot of talk about church here. I didn't want to go at all. And he was very, very, you know, religious, as is my mom. I'm pretty sure they're praying about my tattoo right now. I'm not very happy about that. Uh, and then as we, as I grew even older, uh, we didn't even vote the same. So Thanksgiving got real weird. But uh, I do remember when he wasn't so strict. And that, I think, was telling of how he... Uh, how he saw the choices that I was making, especially when I was like 16. Um, I remember dating a kind of a goofball, not the brightest crayon in the box. Uh, and it was prom night. And I knew he didn't approve of him. I was 16, whatever. Um, and I had gotten into my dress. It was a fancy dress. It was my first prom. And he loved to mess with this guy. He loved to mess with this guy so much, he would greet him with a chainsaw at the door and rub it. And I'm pretty sure he pissed his pants. So, <laughs> um, prom night, though, he decided to take it one step further. And he uh, dressed up <laughs> in flannel, a long blonde wig that I wore as a hippie costume uh, for Halloween once uh, with the bandana, took his shotgun. <laughs> And our fat dog, Duke, sat on the front porch and waited. 
he waited. And we have a long driveway, so he was coming up the driveway with his permit, by the way. His mom's in the front seat with him because 16 and it's prom night. And he's driving, and he sees going up the driveway. He was this blonde-haired, kind of scary-looking hick in the middle of Edders with a shotgun waiting for me. Oh, shit, that's my girlfriend's father waiting for me on prom night with a shotgun. He gets out of the van, and he comes over with his little flowers, his corsage, and he's, like, walking up. My dad goes, sick him, Duke, and sets him loose, and this fat dog is just like, oh, da, 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 da. but he has his shotgun ready. And I think that's when I realized, like, he trusted that uh, this wasn't going to go anywhere. Um, and this was not the guy for me. He didn't want me to have any weak men in my life. And he never, he never fucked with anybody like that ever uh, in my life after that, because you know, they were, they were okay after that. But um, as I grew older and had a, um, well, I was getting ready to get married and uh, we had our differences again. And of course there were sparks flying and how I should have my wedding and what kind of prayers he thought I needed to have. And then finally I said, no, we're not having, we're not having prayers for my wedding. I'm not religious. It's not me. And we fought. We fought so hard two weeks before my wedding, I thought for sure I was now going to have to foot the entire bill. And then somehow things came together. He realized that, you know, I'm with the man of my life. We're happy. This is what we wanted to have. And we bawled when we had our father-daughter dance on, the, on my wedding night. And I think we realized that, you know, I was a tough cookie, and it was because I'm opinionated, because he's an opinionated guy. And I see that now with my daughter, and she's in her no phase. Uh, anybody with a, whoever had a two and a half year old knows the no phase, and he looks at me, he's like, I wonder where she got that from. And I'm thinking, well, from me, but also pass it on from you. So. I like to think that I'm stronger because of my dad. He knows best that I didn't need that weak ass man from 16 uh, prom night. Um, but he also knows that now I am with somebody better and I have my own life and better for it. And he is, uh, I'm just waiting for him to pass that, that wood block and nail to my daughter, but we'll see if that happens. <laughs> uh, but if he doesn't, maybe, maybe I will. Maybe I will. All the winners from this year's Open Mic Story Slam events will return in November to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in York. Updates on our upcoming events and tickets for purchase are available on our website, yorkstoryslam.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter, at York Story Slam as well as on Facebook, and watch videos of all the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Catherine Roquet. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. <laughs>